Excellent. Thank you. Well, good morning, Calvary. Thank you. All right. We're going to be interactive. I like that. That's good. Um, I am charged this morning with opening up this conference, and it is an honor for me. I'm excited to do that, uh, especially since it's talking about breaking down walls. And I see what Dan's doing there. He wants me to talk about the things that you uh, are going to get mad at. So that's good. Thanks, Dan. If they run me out of town, I could still go back to Nashville. So let me pray. Heavenly Father God, I love you so much. You're a good father. God, I pray this morning as, as we begin to search your word, as we begin to talk about what you would have us do and talk about your character, God, I pray that you begin to convict us. I pray your spirit shows us where we've built walls up where we've put safeguards up. God, I pray that you, uh, you give us the boldness to break those walls down. Father, I pray that you make little of me and more of you. I love you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a little bit about me. I'm from Knoxville. I'm from this area. I went to Bearden High School, and uh, I met my beautiful wife at Bearden High School. You might not be able to recognize me. I've lost a lot of weight since that picture. Um, it's not funny. No. Uh, went to Bearden High School. I was actually married in this church. Um, and right around this season of me getting married, a little bit before I got married, a year or two before I got married, devastation in my life began. Uh, I went to New Orleans after the hurricane, and I injured. I got injured. I injured my back, and I became very addicted to drugs. Uh, I was really good at hiding it. I was living double life. Uh, I was a master manipulator. Uh, I became a thief. I was a drug addict. And I was very self-centered. No one else mattered but me. I left New Orleans and I moved back to Knoxville and I started to date my wife. She had no idea about the things that I was doing, about the life that I was living. Like I said, I could hide things very well. Well, what the Bible says, what's in the dark comes into the light. And it did. And I was caught. I couldn't fool people anymore. And so I went to rehabs. I say that plural. I went to rehabs and they didn't work. Um, I continued to, to live a, a double life, uh, a self-centered life, but people on the outside maybe thought things were going well. Um, after that, uh, and I got caught again, just my lifestyle, I found this place called S2L Recovery in Middle Tennessee, and things were different there uh, when I went there. Uh, the things that were different was I heard some truths about God that I never heard before, about his power, about his love, about his grace, and about his mercy. And what the Bible says, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will... Okay, we're still responsive, that's good. The Bible says the truth will set you free, and that's what happened. God set me free from an addiction. I said I was a drug addict, and I said that intentionally, because the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so God called my wife and I to move to Middle Tennessee at that point. Uh, we began serving, working for S2L Recovery. Five or six years goes by, growing us, and now I, I lead that ministry uh, from men ages 18 to up uh, from all over the country, and it's an awesome ministry. Um, sometimes, though, I look back and I think, and maybe you can relate, sometimes I think, why did I have to go through all of that? 
man, if I didn't have that season of my life, where would I be now? Where would my ministry be? Where would my life be? And, and I think that, but then God reminds me of something, and I have a picture of my two children. <laughs> oh, man, the beautiful babies. They are terrorizing your child's care, right? Now, your children workers right now. <laughs> they are comers. But what he reminds me is, is that I couldn't have loved these babies the way that I love them now six or seven years ago. I couldn't have. And God gave me a love to love them now that I wasn't ready for then. And I was hard-headed and I had to go through things and he was shaping my life. And so that's a little bit about me, but what we're talking about is breaking down walls. And I think it's interesting. I think the reason that Dan asked me to do this is because I have a lot of personal experience uh, of breaking down my own walls, but also the men that I minister to. The men that I minister to were considered by maybe the, the world as damaged goods. They come to me in the worst seasons of their life. Everyone has walked away at most points, rightfully so. They've lied, they've stolen. And all of these experiences are great. All these truths that I could tell you are great, but they're not supreme authority. The supreme authority is God's word. And so I want to see in God's word, I want to share with you in God's word why we should be in a missions conference. Why we should go on a missions conference. And so obviously this is the Great Commission. You can put it up there. Matthew 28. The Great Commission. Who's heard of the Great Commission? Matthew 28. Most of you know it by heart. Some of you know it by heart. All right, well, let me tell you the context of what's going on in Matthew 28. This is Jesus talking. The context is, is in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the world. And then he created everything in it, and he created people in his image. We were Imago Dei. We're image bearers. And in the garden, Adam and Eve became disobedient. And sin entered the world. And God, being so just, right, and holy, he can't look upon sin. He can't be around sin. In fact, he has wrath for sin. And this sounds like it's going to be bad news, but the whole story of the Bible, when you read the whole story of the Bible, it's really good news because the whole thing is pointing to a Savior because we need it. And we can't be upset with Adam and Eve because we've actively participated in the sin. We've all chosen to sin. And so the whole the whole love of the Bible, the whole thing, even in Genesis 3, when that happens, it's called the fall. Even in Genesis 3, the snake can't leave the garden before God preaches the first gospel. It's called the proto-evangelum. If you recall, he tells, the, he tells the snake, the devil, he says, the seed of woman, the offspring of woman, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. That's the first gospel. From there, it goes to um, you, you see the exodus and the plagues come in and Egypt and all of a sudden it says but the blood of the lamb has to cover you and the wrath of God will pass over it's all pointing to a Messiah a savior pass over you the blood of the lamb and then you read John the Baptist when he sees Jesus he says behold the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world you move on and then all of a sudden you have the Ten Commandments the Ten Commandments is pointing to a Messiah. You're like, what? Yes, it's ten of them. And it is designed to show God's people a way to live. 
But the reason that I say it's pointing to a Messiah is because we can't follow them perfectly and we need a savior. This is interesting. I don't have slides for this, but I've heard a pastor do this before. The Ten Commandments, they're not supreme ethics, right? It's not like the greatest philosophical minds in the world are the only ones that can understand the Ten Commandments. How do I know that? Because in all the Sunday school rooms for the children, there's the Ten Commandments, right? Meant for children to understand. But if we did a pop quiz, not do you know them, but out of all ten of them, have you kept them perfectly? Everyone in the room fails. And what happens if you fail one question on this Ten Commandments, the wrath of God is waiting on you. The wrath of God. You shall not have no other gods before me. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes social media becomes a god before God. Lowercase g. Sometimes our children become gods. Sometimes our cell phones become gods. You should not lie. If we're honest, we failed that one too. And if you're like me, I was always a wise guy. Uh, I, would, I would try to find like the, the glitch in the system. Like, hey, it says you shouldn't murder. I've never murdered anyone. Hey, you shouldn't commit adultery. I've, met a, I've never committed adultery. But then what happened? Jesus comes on the scene and he puts us in checkmate. If you have hate in your heart, you're a murderer. If you have lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. So this list of the Ten Commandments, we've all failed. So what does that mean? We need a Savior. We need a Messiah. It goes on from that in the Old Testament. It talks about the, the sacrifices of animals. Because they knew that sin cost you your life. The wages of sin is death. They knew that. And they also knew that the life was in the blood. So every single year, they would atone for their sins with blood offerings, blood sacrifices. Another picture pointing that we need a Messiah. And because of the expectation and because of the standard of God is so high, the only one that can meet that standard is God. And God, knowing that, enters into his own creation as the son Jesus. And he splits time on some calendars. B.C. becomes A.D. Jesus comes on the scene and he lives perfectly. Perfectly, without sin. I mean, really process that for a second. Perfect is perfect. Not a second of anger, unrighteous anger. Not a second of a lustful thought. No moment of sinful pride. Lives perfect for 33 and a half years and then gives himself as that final atonement for sin on the cross to be beaten, to be crucified. This is awesome. This is our Messiah. This is the gift of God. But it gets even better. Three days later, he comes out of the grave and he conquers death. Death, where is your sting? He conquers it and he says that if you believe, if you believe, then my death is your death. That my righteousness is your righteousness. The whole point of the Bible, the whole thing of the Bible is pointing to this moment and it's already been done. In fact, the last thing he said on the cross was, it is finished. Well, what is finished? He crushed his head. Crushed it. Oh, this is such good news. That's why we call it the gospel. 
So Jesus rises from the dead and he's walking around with his disciples and then all of a sudden, the last thing that he says, recorded in Matthew, before he goes to sit on his throne in heaven, is this verse. Let's read it. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of age. So it's clear that God calls us to go on mission. It's the essence of this conference. It's not because we just think it's a good idea. It's because it's a command of God. Go therefore. Not maybe you should go therefore, but go therefore. Why are we not going? Why are we not doing this Why are we not excited to do this? Well, because walls. Sometimes we build up these walls in our heart, and I want to talk about those today. I want to talk about those. The first one I want to talk about is fear. And fear is actually, just to be honest with you, it's the easy one for me to discuss. We're going to breeze past it. But I do believe that sometimes the reason that people don't go is because of fear. Fear that they don't know enough. They don't know enough theology. I'm going to mess it up. Fear of man. I want to please people so much that I don't want to look like the weirdo. Or what are they going to think? It's fear. And the reason that this is the easy one for me is because it's not about you. It's not about me. Going, therefore, is about bringing God glory. It's about making his name famous. And that whole 10 minutes of the story of the Bible about what the Messiah did for you, it should cause something to stir in your heart to want to make his name famous, to want to bring him glory. Not only that, but the fear part's easy because the bookends of this verse make it plain and simple. All authority has been given to me. Not some, all. All authority. So the one who spoke everything into existence, the star breather, the one that holds the world together by the word of his power, all authority, go make disciples, and then closes with this, and behold, I'm with you to the end of age. He's with us. If you can mess it up, then he's really not God. You're responsible for this going. God's responsible for the rest. It's not on you to to convert someone or to save someone. That's God's job. But it is on us. He's called us. We get to do this. This is an honor to go there for. Man, the fear part of it, when you begin to see God in this way, truly see God in this way, everything can change. It has to. Everything can change. So some of that inside of fear, some of that sometimes is we plan things out, we have this strategy, we compartmentalize things in our mind, and and then when it doesn't work, it kind of, we retreat. Let's, Let's read Psalms 46, 10, and 11. It says this, be still and know that I am God. Most of us know that verse right there, right? Be still and know that I am God. But then it continues. I will be exalted among the nations. 
I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And this be still part isn't just, hey, sit on your hands. No, 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 no. This be still part is stop with this. Stop this fear. Stop trying to plan everything, and if your plans don't work out, then you're going to not go, and you're going to be upset. Be still. I'm God. You're not. My name will be exalted among the earth. Go, therefore. Go, therefore. Not only is it important to have the missions conferences, but you know what else that this does? And all of the school, all of the philosophy classes I've taken, there's two questions that remain, are the most popular questions. Where did we all come from, and why are we here? And the Great Commission answers both of those. When you know what your purpose is, when you know what your purpose is as a human being, as a child of God, to bring God glory, man, all of this stuff, fear, and all of this self-worth, all of this timidness could go away because you know what you're supposed to be doing. You know what you've been called to do. Now, all of us in this room, that's going to look different. We're not all going to have the same occupation. We're not all going to have the same places that God calls us to. But he's called all of us to go there for. Whether it's across the street, cubicle, Africa, Asia. He's called all of us to go there for. And when you know your purpose, man, the self-worth, you no longer have the need to please people or fear people because you know what you're supposed to do and you know that the, the star breather said that I'm with you until the end of age. Everything can change. Now that's been addressed. We're going to move on. That's the easy one. It's about to get deep. The next thing, the reason that I believe that walls aren't torn down and we build walls up is because of preferences or prejudice. Preferences are prejudice. And in order for me to talk about this topic, I, I honestly believe I'm going to stretch us. I'm going to call us to be stretched. I'm going to ask you to be praying even now without ceasing that the Holy Spirit reveals what your preferences or your prejudices are right now. But in order for me to do that, I always think that I need to take my mask off and I need to tell you about some things that I've gone through. About when I've been prejudice or had personal preferences and it stopped me from going there for. So that's what I'll do. Uh, and this wasn't too long back. This was within a year. Um, like I said, I, I run a program, uh, an all-male program, and there's different seasons of what that looks like. Sometimes we have bad groups of men who do not follow rules, and sometimes we have good groups of men who do follow rules and are hungry. And at this moment in time, we had a group of men in the program, and it was full, that were awesome. They were rule followers. They were hungry for the word of God. They were hungry to hear about this freedom that Jesus offers. They didn't want to be drug addicts anymore, or alcoholics anymore. It was an awesome group of guys. Man, and it was just, everything was clicking. Didn't have to worry about stuff. Didn't have to like... It was just awesome. And then I got a phone call from a parole officer. Happens all the time. Hey, got a guy in prison, wanted to get out, wanted to come in the program. Awesome. Awesome. But then the parole officer began to tell me this man's past and his history. 
Now this man, to be quite honest, was infamous. Nationwide TV news networks were trying to contact this man for the rights to do a documentary on his family because of all the stuff that he had been through and all the stuff he'd seen and all the stuff he'd done. Bad, 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 bad. His father's in prison for life. Most of his family's in prison for life. And when I heard that, I said, I need to call you back. And the first thing that went to my mind was I need to protect the flock. God's called me to protect this flock of men who's doing so well, and I need to protect the flock, and I felt righteous about that. And let me tell you something. Very, very, very quickly, the Spirit of God convicted me in a way that I had not been convicted in a long time. It was almost like a punch to the soul. Adam, what are you doing? This is your ministry. You're called to be a light to the darkness. What are you doing? You're going to turn him away? Oh, I felt the conviction. Repented to God. Called the parole officer back and said, come on in. Bring him in. You know what that guy needed? Within one hour of meeting him. I came in. I taught a class Monday morning. We take a break at at 10 a.m. Start class at 9. By 10 a.m., This man was weeping. He needed a hug. He needed to see the love of God that Pastor Dan was talking about. And he was weeping. One of the hardest men that I've ever met. Tasted what the love and mercy and grace of God was for the first time and was weeping. God began to grow him. He was leading Bible studies with the other guys, other students in the program. Now he's, he's out of the program, he's working, he has his own ministry inside of that, and it was just incredible to see that. And yet I almost allowed prejudices or preferences to stop that. I didn't like what he had gone through. Who was I to judge? So those are my personal stories, but like I said, the Bible is going to be the ultimate authority. What does the Bible say about preferences or prejudice? And I'm going to read a verse that most of you have probably never heard of, John 3.16. Have y'all heard of that? Okay. Maybe the most famous verse in the world, John 3.16, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now this word world, uh, from the Greek, it's cosmo or cosmos. It just means everything, everything, from planets to pecan pie, everything. And when you think of that, something that I want to be careful not to say that is very popular now, especially on campuses and things like that, is when you read that and it says God loves everything, people are going to try to say, okay, all roads lead to heaven then. All dogs go to heaven. God loves, love wins. There is no hell. And the reason I'm careful to dispute that and rebuke that is because the very context of this verse, Jesus is talking to a man called Nicodemus, a very upright religious man, and he tells him that you must be born again. And obviously Nicodemus didn't know what he was talking about. I'm a grown man. What do you mean? I have to go back to my mother's womb? You 
must be born and then says, for God so loved the world. So it's not this unconditional love. There was condition. You must believe. You must be born again. But what there's not is distinction of God's love. There is condition, but there's no distinction. Australians, Americans, Africans, Asians, Europeans, no distinction in the love of God. Doesn't matter how you came in here. Doesn't matter what sin you've struggled with. Doesn't matter the things that brought you in here. There is no distinction in the love of God. And again, why are we talking about this? Because we're talking about prejudices and preferences that we deal with. Let's look at what the, what the Bible says about those things. There's no distinction. No race. Not where you're from. Not what you've struggled with. There's a theme. Jesus is just saying, follow me. Believe. Believe there's no distinction. I want to give you a couple examples of that. So he's talking to Nicodemus right here, the super righteous religious man. Matthew 9, 9, and 10 says this. And Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, there's, there's polar opposites here, and I want to bring that out. Polar opposites. There's Nicodemus, super religious man, very sociably acceptable. Very sociably acceptable to be talking with him. And then there was this tax collector. Was not at all sociably acceptable. And by the look of your faces, you're probably just like, all right, man, let's move on. But that's because I don't know that you know the context of what a first century tax collector actually was. My thought for so long was, man, they're skimming some money, but why do they have such a bad rep? I get it. They're skimming a little money. Leave them alone. Gosh. A first century tax collector was a bad man. Very bad man. And here's why. In the first century, Rome ruled the known world. Like 6,000 miles across was their territory. And the only way that they could do that was a massive, massive, massive military. Reason being because with that much land to cover, not like today, they can't just push a button. To send reinforcements could take months, maybe a year, to get from one place to another. So they had to rule with a strong arm. And they were not kind. Let's imagine that we were a first century Jewish town. This military would come in and have their way. They would rape our wives and our children. They would steal from us unchecked. They would beat us unchecked. They would do whatever they wanted to do with us because they were strong-armed Rome. A tax collector was our neighbor that we'd known our whole lives, who'd grown up in our town with us our whole lives, go into the shadows and make a deal with Rome. Make a deal with Rome to be this man who collects the money because he was going to get rich. He was an opportunist. So he went and made the deal, and what you and I had to do by law, we would have to go to this tax collector and pay him money which kept this oppressive military 
in our town, raping our family, stealing from us, beating us. That's what the context of a first century tax collector was. They were looked at as disgusting people by the Jewish, Jewish race. And now you kind of understand rightfully so, right? And what did Jesus say? He, he goes up to this man, he says, follow me. What? He's breaking down walls because not only did he talk to, to Nicodemus, this man, and by the way, let me tell you how religious Nicodemus was. He memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Memorized. Most of us, when we start to read Numbers, we get about two chapters in, we're like, let's go to Romans. He's memorized these books of the Bible. This is a godly man, a righteous man. And he's telling Nicodemus how to be reborn. You've got to be born again. And at the same time, he's talking to Matthew, a tax collector, and he says, follow me. There's no distinction. Search your hearts right now. Where's your prejudice? Where's your preferences? Where's your pride? I give one more example. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 40. And it says this, one of the Pharisees, again, like Nicodemus, but this man's name was Simon, very religious man, asked him to eat with him, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Just so you know, a woman of the city did not mean that she owned a business in the city. Um, it was more like her occupation was a prostitute. And the reason I know that, because it says sinner. And sinner, whenever you see they were a sinner, was a class of people in the Bible. It wasn't like, oh, you're a sinner. It was a class of people. Normally, their occupations, or they had leprosy or something like that. So this woman comes in, and this is what happens. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment now when the pharisees who had the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to him if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman who is touching him for she is a sinner and jesus answering him said simon i have something to say to you and he answered say it teacher something interesting <laughs> this man simon just thought something to himself. That's what the Bible says. Not out loud. He thought something to himself about Jesus, and then Jesus answered him. Could you imagine how terrifying that would be? Like if my father-in-law, Joe, right now was thinking just about how ugly my shirt was or something like that, I was like, Joe, you don't like my shirt? Okay. You know how terrifying that would be? That he answered this man's thoughts. And here's what he says. He tells Simon something called a judicial parable. Meaning he's going to tell him a story and then Simon gets to be the judge and answer how the story ends. And Jesus tells him this. He said, there's a money lender who had two debtors. One of the debtors owed a lot of money. One of the debtors owed very little money. When the, when the money lender found out that both of them could not pay their debt, he canceled both of them. And Jesus asked Simon, he says, now, which one do you think loved the moneylender the most after he canceled the debt? 
And Simon answered, I guess the one who owed the most debt. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Now this woman, since she's walked in, has been wiping my feet with her tears. Wiping my feet with her tears. And then says this. Luke 7, 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Oh, how sweet the grace of God is. Let me say it another way. Those who are forgiven of much should love much. And Calvary, I've been forgiven of much. And also, based on the Ten Commandment pop quiz we, we just did, you guys have been forgiven of much too. Our default response is our love should be beaming, not walls. Again, the same scenario. This super religious, socially acceptable man, and then this unacceptable socially woman, and Jesus is just saying, follow me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. All these preferences, all these prejudices. No, Jesus knocks that stuff down. Where is your heart this morning? Where is your heart this morning? Now, obviously we can see how Jesus did that, and I just want to talk with you guys in the last few minutes. Um, I'll, I'll try to make it short. Some practical things. And, and guys, discipleship, go therefore and make disciples. Discipleship is messy. It's messy. Why? Because we're people. People dealing with people. And I love the examples that, that we see of Jesus. Well, how do you do discipleship? Do you have to go and do you have to read this? And do you have to say, come follow me? No, but what we do see is Jesus reclining at tables. He's doing life with people. He's doing life with them in their homes. He's loving people. And when hard questions come up, he doesn't get mad and storm off. He answers them in love. Go, therefore. Break down walls. It's what we're called to do, not suggested. You're equipped. Behold, I'm with you always to the ends of age. Man, watch how you can turn this city upside down on its head when we start doing things like that. When you start reclining at a table with someone who looks way different than you do. Maybe not even just looks different than you do, that maybe has been shamed by the public. And I'll tell you this, this is what I don't want you to do. This is what I don't think God has called you to do. If, if, it's, if your mindset is just to be obedient and you want to make someone a pet project and get them saved, stay at home. People aren't projects. You'll cause more harm if you do that. But if you could pray, and, and God, I don't want to have that mindset. God, I want to have love. Break my heart for these people. And you can go in love. Go, therefore. Go, therefore. Because it's going to get messy. And if it's a project, 
it'll get over quick. But if it's love, you'll do life with them. You'll show them grace. You'll show them compassion. You'll speak truth. When it comes to breaking down walls, it's about bringing God glory and going. Now, he's called some of you to go certain places. He's called some of you to go other places. But you're equipped to go. If you are a believer, you are equipped to go. Because the head's been crushed. It's been conquered. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he had death in his hand, and death has no sting. All authority. Go, therefore. So I want to I close um, here in just a second. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Um, I want to have a time of response. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to play a song. So as they're playing a song, just respond. And here's what I want that to look like. The time of response, what I, it could be from your chairs, or your, where, you're seat, where you're sitting, or it could be up here, wherever you want. God's word has gone out. Respond. And here's what I want that to be. Probably repentance. Probably a place of repentance where God's revealed some areas in your heart that maybe you had walls up. About people that didn't look like you. About people that didn't act like you. And he's not saying that you go and, and you approve of the lifestyles that they're living. It's just saying that you go. And you love. So this time is a, a time just to, if God's been convicting you of where your walls are up, God, I don't want these walls anymore. Break these walls down. Maybe a time of response where you're asking God for the boldness to go, therefore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I love you so much. God, I pray that um, your word has gone out. I pray that people respond. I pray that tomorrow, Monday, is not like last Monday. That this wasn't just a good motivational talk, but God, that your spirit comes in and conviction happens and you teach us that when you convict us, we respond. We don't run. God, I repent from any walls that I've built up. I repent from pride and, and prejudice and preferences. God, I pray that you give me boldness to go God I thank you for the story that you've given me I thank you for your son I love you and I praise you in Jesus name